Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. This is where we drill deep on an issue of the week. But before that, we talk about oil and we talk about diesel. And since you can't get oil unless you drill for it, that's why we call the podcast Drilling Deep. We have a double header today on petroleum. Uh, I'm going to talk about diesel and in particular, and in particular, renewable diesel. And then we'll have Matt Luck of Neste My Renewable Diesel to talk about what that company is doing in what is becoming known simply as RD. Neste has been our sponsor this month, and we want to thank them for their support. Before we get to the interview, though, I want to say a few things about renewable diesel. First, I don't want to take too much away from Matt's interview, and he will give you some of the specifics. But he touches on something in his interview that I want to amplify, and that is the role of the state of California. The Golden State is the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. I read recently it was about to surpass Germany. Uh, I don't know if that actually happened. But regardless, we are talking about a very big economic force. It's also a political punching bag. It is very much a deep blue state. Never mind that this is also the state that gave the United States Ronald Reagan. And as a result, it gets criticized for all sorts of things. We're not going to go into that now, but I just thought I wanted to mention it. But the fact is, because it is so big, it just can't be ignored. I recently heard a presentation from a trucking industry consultant who said any time he would meet with regulators from California to push back against some new environmental regulation that would impact trucking, he would say something to the effect of, if you do this, you'll lose a lot of the truckers from your state. And the response was often, well, that's what you said last time, and here you are still. And let's face it, that's a pretty strong argument. That's why what is going on in California with renewable diesel is so important. The state about 10 years ago implemented the low carbon fuel standard. It's kind of complex, but what it does is set targets that companies need to meet to decarbonize fuels like gasoline and diesel. And they can get there in a lot of different ways. Uh, but here's the thing to know, you don't need to be a fuel merchant to, to participate. If you have a fleet of vehicles and they are all EVs, you can generate credits that you can then sell to companies that need to make their, their renew their excuse me their lower emission targets, and there's lots of ways to generate credits. There was one company I was familiar with that was based in Texas, and they were able to do two things. They set up a series of natural gas fueling stations in California, while at the same time they were taking methane off landfills in Texas. As long as they could show that they were selling the methane, which is a very low carbon fuel, into the grid in Texas, and that they were selling natural gas vehicle, natural gas fuel out of their uh, system in California, they could generate credits and then they could then sell them. Different types of fuel generate different types of credits, different amounts of credits. Something like renewable diesel generates a lot of credits because it can be shown that the life cycle of this fuel has a very low carbon intensity. So you're seeing companies like Neste invest funds into renewable diesel in California. As Matt will tell you, the investment for Neste had been elsewhere in the world in renewable diesel, with their product then shipped to the state, but now they've taken the plunge actually in California, in a joint venture in the Bay Area with Marathon Petroleum. The credits are doing their job. They are spurring investment. And that's where the California's sheer size comes in. At a certain point, when you can't ignore that market, things start to happen. So you get major oil companies investing there. Neste is a gigantic Finnish oil company. 
and then Oregon follows their lead, and Washington follows their lead. And maybe this all becomes such a movement, admittedly government-backed, that renewable diesel starts spreading its market into other areas of the country. You can, you can get it elsewhere now, but it does remain pretty much a California product for the most part. Certainly, this is what the diesel engine industry is counting on. A few weeks ago, we had Alan Schaefer of the Diesel Technology Forum here on Drilling Deep, and he specifically mentioned renewable diesel as a way in which the diesel industry can be part of the energy transition. None of these solutions in the energy transition is flawless. Batteries in trucks are just too heavy and will need too long to recharge. Hydrogen is intriguing, but it needs infrastructure and you can't make green hydrogen with emission-free energy. If you can make green hydrogen with emission-free energy, then you haven't gained that much in terms of emissions. And can you make enough of that green hydrogen? Renewable diesel does have the issue of ensuring adequate feedstocks, but the U.S. ethanol industry supplies 5 to 10% of U.S. gasoline demand from corn, and renewable diesel has the advantage of being able to be made not just from crushed soybeans, but also from cooking grease. And there are maybe other sources out there, too. The point here is to always keep California on your, on your radar. They're the 800-pound gorilla. And while a lot of the gorilla's neighbors in the jungle may not like them, the reality is they are 800 pounds, and they sleep wherever they feel like. That could be key to renewable diesel future. Moving on here now on Drilling Deep. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a story about some new initiatives regarding hydrogen for trucks. It's an initiative where ammonia is cracked to get the hydrogen out of the ammonia and power whatever transportation mode you're looking to move. And a few weeks ago on this podcast, I had Alan Schaefer of the Diesel Technology Forum, and he talked about the decarbonization role that diesel can still play. His view is that it can still play in the energy transition, and renewable diesel is a big part of it. So you think about the, the two differences. Uh, hydrogen really is a very futuristic way of doing things, uh, very much uh, disruptive. And then you have the Diesel Technology Forum talking about diesel still having a role but in a different type of format. So today on Drilling Deep, we have a leading executive from Neste North America, which is an arm of the Finnish energy giant Neste. Uh, with us is Matt Luke. He is the technical manager of Neste Renewable Road Transportation. Matt's background includes time at engine builder Cummins, and he now uses his engine equipment and fuel expertise to support Neste's position as the leading edge of, of cleaner, low carbon renewable fuel. And I also wanna note, if you look down in the lower right-hand corner of, uh, of these, this podcast, you will see a little logo there that you've seen all month now, and that is because Neste is a sponsor of Drilling Deep. So, Matt, first of all, welcome to Drilling Deep, and thanks to Neste for being our sponsor. Yeah, thanks for having me. Honestly, um, I love doing these things with you guys and everyone else. Really cool to hear that you had Alan on, too. Alan's a great guy. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm sure you two have obviously very much in common. First of all, you talk, the name of your company is Neste MY Diesel. Do you call it my diesel, or or does do you pronounce the my, and what does it stand for? Yeah, so that that is the name of our product, our renewable diesel product. It's Neste My, right? And it's uh, it was the, the brand that was generated back in Europe when we first started making this product, and we wanted to convey some sort of kind of personal ownership, right? It's my choice. I'm doing this. Um, I'm making the choice to to be greener, to be cleaner, and in you know leave the the planet better for our children. So it's a it's, it it is my right. It has ownership to it. Okay, let's first define renewable diesel because there is confusion between what is renewable diesel and what is biodiesel. 
and they are very different, particularly in the the end product of what they can do. Can you define the two? Yeah, um, you know, you're right. They are different, and that's something we we talk about a lot. Um, they're both diesel fuels, obviously, right? You can run an engine on either one. Um, biodiesel, it's it's not a hydrocarbon. It's called a, it's a methyl ester. Um, basically, it's it's kind of a diesel ox or a diesel molecule with oxygen still. Um, so it's going to behave a little differently. Um, you know, you're probably familiar with like B5 and B20. Those are the maximum blend limits for biodiesel, right? So depending on your engine manufacturer or whatever, you probably can't run more than 20% biodiesel. We are still running at 80% fossil in that world. Renewable diesel is a pure hydrocarbon, so it's a drop-in replacement for fossil diesel. Um, but because it's pure hydrocarbons, we don't have any blend limits. So it, it's a 100% drop-in replacement for the fossil diesels everyone's been using. And and when people are using renewable diesel, if you're the, if you're driving a truck that the tank is filled with renewable diesel, are you going to see any change at all? I've actually heard that the performance is somewhat better than petroleum-based diesel. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at performance, right? But with renewable diesel, some of the best things people notice is it's incredibly pure and clean. Um, it looks like water, right? And it doesn't have a smell because it doesn't have those aromatic molecules and other stuff. Um, super clean, so you're not going to have filter plugging. Uh, but there's a lot cleaner combustion as well, which means much less soot going into EGR systems, DPF systems. You know, we're going to reduce that DPF maintenance cycle. Um, you're going to put less work and time into there, better uptime for fleets. Like, it, it's just, it's so pure and clean on every level um, that you, you kind of draw something out of a hat and we can tell you why it's better in that regard. All right. Let's talk about your footprint in the U.S. Or just, it doesn't have to be just the U.S. because these are all global markets. Although uh, obviously you're in the, the North American arm of Neste, what do you have in terms of physical facilities? Do you have them in the U.S. or you're just importing from your other global facilities? Yeah, so we, like you said, we're based in Finland, right? We were founded in 1948 back in Finland um, after World War II. So our first refinery to make renewable diesel is just outside of Helsinki, and then a couple of years after that, um, we're talking you know 2010, 12 time right now, we built refineries in Singapore and Rotterdam, Netherlands. So right now, well, I, I guess up until very recently, all the fuel coming to the U.S. was coming from our Singapore plant um, across the Pacific. But we recently opened up and are kind of in startup operations right now for a joint venture we have with Marathon Petroleum in California. So now we have production in California in Martinez, just north of San Francisco, where we're producing renewable diesel here in the States now. So now we're on three continents. Um, we're the largest renewable fuels producer in the world. So what's the capacity at Martinez? Um, it's going to be about a million gallons a year for us. Or sorry, I'm, I'm a million, million barrels. Yeah. Okay, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to sorry. break that down into ba barrels per day. I, 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 get, <laughs> I go back and forth between all the units because we're European. It's a million tons per year for us. Okay. Let me walk you through this. Um, like I said, we, I, I think in tons and I convert. We, um, at all of our facilities currently now and before Martinez came online, um, we're around 3.2 million tons a year. That's around a billion gallons, right? Um, Martinez is going to add another million tons to that, bring it up to about 4.2 million tons per year globally. And then we're also, our Singapore expansion is almost done and we're expanding Rotterdam. So basically by 2026, we'll be around 6.8 million tons of product a year, which is about 2.3 something billion gallons. 
Now, let's note that Martinez is the site of a former refinery, a full petroleum refinery. Correct. Uh, is the diesel output, the renewable diesel output there, going to be roughly at the level of petroleum diesel that was coming out? No, I mean, renewable diesel in pretty much all regards is better than uh, petroleum diesel. You're, you're going to have, you know, better cloud points, better, much higher cetane, um, you know, super narrow on a lot of the other parameters, like things like uh, like viscosity, right? There's a big window that you can fit in there. Renewable diesel is very consistent right in the sweet spot of all the things like that. So whether it's Martinez, Singapore, Rotterdam, whatever, all renewable diesel is going to be at a definite step above fossil diesel. Now, were you marketing your international prop production in the U.S. previously? And um, whether you were or you're, you're now going to, certainly you're going to have more to, to supply into the U.S. What is the marketing strategy for what really amounts to a, I'm not going to call it completely a commodity because clearly renewable diesel has some advantages over petroleum diesel that makes it all, I'll call it maybe a quasi commodity. What's the marketing strategy? You know, because it's a drop-in replacement, um, some people, like you said, think of it just like a gasoline for your car, right? It doesn't matter where you fill up, just go put fuel in it. But there's a set of customers that want that next level. They understand the benefits that come with this. So some look at the performance aspects, you know, the total cost of ownership, reduced maintenance. Um, that entices a lot of fleet owners there. But the other big part of this is the greenhouse gas reductions. So, you know, a lot of companies have these, have mandates and they're, they're corporate statements, right? Like we're going to reduce our greenhouse gas footprint by this percent, by this time. Um, or you've heard, everyone's heard about the, you know, ESG financing, right? To get corporate financing now, you have to have these environmental goals. Because our product is so easy to convert, right? Just switch and start using it. It lets companies just overnight start just ticking all the boxes for all of those those public-facing things, right? Uh, so that's a pretty big deal for us. It's helping our customers reduce their greenhouse gas footprints um, by using this fuel. So corporately, our goal is to uh, help our customers reduce 20 million tons of GHG emissions every year by 2030. Last year, we got up to 11.1 million tons. So we're steadily getting there. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, fuel is fuel to some people, but to a whole other group of people, Different fuels definitely have different benefits. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, I, I recently wrote a series of stories about hydrogen because I went to Sierra Week in Houston, which some people joke should be having been renamed Hydrogen Week. And um, this is this is another real aspect to it that, you know, it's, it's you can look at the price difference between hydrogen and something else, renewable diesel and something else. And then you've got to count in there somewhere. I don't know, it's not easy to measure, but a corporate goal to get down their GHG. And clearly that's a play in what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of fuels. There's a lot of ways to do that. Um, we just think ours is the easiest way. All right, let, let's talk a little bit about California and why you're there. And that's not chosen randomly. Um, first of all, you have the facilities there because Martinez was being closed by Marathon, most of the hydro, most of the petroleum operations. But in California, when you sell into that market, you generate low carbon fuel standard credits, LCFS credits. They can be pretty substantial. I know they were maybe six months ago close to $200 per metric ton uh, of carbon, per ton of carbon. I hear now they're down towards 60 or 70. But regardless, those numbers are a key economic factor in where you decided to put that plan, is it not? For sure. Yeah. I mean, renewable diesel is, it, it, it can cost more to make for sure, right? Our production costs are higher. Um, the, the feedstocks that we use are not petroleum-based, right? We can't just grab a pipeline and send it into the refinery. We're looking at things like used cooking oil, animal fat, all these other things that you have to aggregate and move around. And so the feedstock side affects production costs a lot. Well, 
those states like California and now Oregon and Washington on that West Coast corridor there with these carbon programs, their goal is to reduce carbon emissions in the state over time, kind of, you know, just a downward sloping line. And us, by by generating a fuel with a much, much lower carbon footprint, we are able to generate credits. Um, and there's a whole market for these credits that other companies, you know, they need to buy the credits because they may not be reducing as much as they should, right? Some of the other actual fossil fuel producers. Um, so being in those markets helps us offset that higher production cost on our side. To, and, you know, that that's what entices companies to to bring fuel into those states. Um, like you said, there's California right now. Oregon got their clean fuels program up in the past couple of years. Washington just got their program off the ground. It's growing. You know, we're, we expect kind of the Northeast U.S. to be the next region to get something put in place. And as those programs come online, that's the magnet for getting all this production sent to those regions. Yeah, you talked about people buying credits to meet their own goals. Back in 2015, I did kind of a fireside chat with Dan Sperling from the California Resources Board, and he's considered pretty much the father of the low-carbon fuel standard. And I think at the time, the price of a credit was a dollar, a dollar or two. And then it got up to 200 now even now is 60 So he said you should go out and buy credits and just hang on to them. They'll be worth a lot more, which obviously they were. I don't think anybody would want to tie up capital for six years waiting for that payday to come. But it just goes to show you uh, what's what's going on with the credits out there. It, 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 it's a very successful program, right? I mean, they're the credits, you're right, that they were kind of getting capped in the legislation in $200, and they bumped up on that for a while. And you're right, they've fallen. As more volume comes into the market, just supply and demand, the credit value drops some. But, you know, I guess from our perspective, there there's the credit value that helps us offset production, but at the same time, as that credit value drops, that means the program is working more and more and more, right? It means it is successful because you're drawing so much of this renewable fuel into the state. What is the cost comparison? Um of renewable diesel versus, I'm not sure really what to make the comparison with regular diesel. But let's say a company says to you, look, I, I need to make my GHG goals. So I want to fill my tanks with renewable diesel because it's so much cleaner. Is there a number that that is costing them more per gallon, per ton, whatever? Not really. So in a state that has a credit program in place where we can offset our side of the, of the ledger there, right? We can sell, you know, at near parity with fossil diesel. Um, you know, we don't have a large retail network. You're not going to go to to the corner store, grab a Coke and put renewable diesel in your car right now. Um, we work through a network of distributors. So, you know, we would direct a customer to one of our distributors and they're going to work out their own shipping and, and, you know, move the transportation, all that sort of stuff, which affects price, obviously. Um, but for most customers, I mean, it, it's going to be very, very close. Um, and we do have a card lock network as well, which is more of a you're on, it's probably familiar, right? A, a B2B corporate fueling station type thing. We do have a network of those on the West Coast that we're expanding. Um, yeah, price-wise, it, it's it, you're, you're not going to really, it's not going to hurt your wallet to switch, put it that way. I mean, that, that's interesting. So so a, a customer who's got a car lock program with Neste would be buying 100% renewable diesel made by Neste or imported by Neste? Yep. We've got, through our network of distributors, um, car locks from Southern California all the way up into Oregon right now. And works. I mean, that, that's interesting. That's interesting because a company that that has GHG goals, which would be contracting with you to do that, it's so simple. They don't have to worry about driving up to somebody else's pumps and maybe getting a blend that's sort of renewable and sort of petroleum. If they go to you, they know they get a free and clear. Yeah, and that's that's a good point that you made there. Um, just kind of that that chain of custody. We know what is in any tank that's branded with our name. We don't allow any blending. 
right? We don't, we're not blending with fossil diesel. We're not blending with biodiesel. If you see the nest in my brand, you are getting renewable diesel with nothing else in it. So there are pumps in California through really through the state that says Neste, Neste My Brand yep. on the pump, and you know you're getting that. Yep, exactly. Interesting. Very good. Well, let's talk about really the, the big question, which are feedstocks, um, because feedstocks are, you know, you can't drill for them. Uh, in some ways, you are, I hate to say at the mercy of, but certainly you are dependent upon supplies of various things, the two two biggest being uh, grease, greases, uh, you know, animal fats, and also a soybean, primarily soybean, uh, soybean crush. Uh, how does the market for feedstocks look to you right now? I mean, it, 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 everyone is competitive out there for sure. You know, 20 something years ago, you could drive up to a McDonald's and get their used fryer oil for free, right? Just take it off their hands. Now there's a whole commodities market based around this. There's com- com- complete businesses that all they do is source the and aggregate these feedstocks for companies like us and things. You know, for us, Right now, a big focus is the used cooking oils, the animal fats. Um, we do have a team working on what we call novel vegetable oils, you know, things that would be cover crops, um, plants that w- do not get into like the food versus fuel argument and other stuff like that. So we put a lot of research, R&D dollars and, and time into future feedstock development. So, you know, I, I would say right now it is competitive for sure. It's obviously not a hindrance because we wouldn't be investing in these new refineries and expansions if we couldn't keep them fed, right? Um, but even down the road, there's a lot of new technology that, that we're working on with things like municipal solid waste or lignocellulosics, which is crop and forestry waste, um, things like that. There's algae. There's all these other future technologies out there that just exponentially grow the the capability to make these fuels. So people hear about used cooking oil and think, well, we're not going to eat more French fries, but that's, that's not the end of the picture, right? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. You mentioned algae and some of these other crops, because I always thought of those as being at the end use of those, I know the chemical structure would more uh, make them more like a gasoline fuel, kind of a lighter blend and not necessarily the heavier blend that you would get in diesel. But you're saying a lot of those feedstocks are capable of being made into a product that's similar to a middle distillate? For sure. Yeah, like think about algae specifically, right? Um, like the municipal solid waste and things, you may you may need to do pyrolysis and other stuff to break it down and rebuild it. But like the algae, the oils that those algae cells will make are directly capable of going into our existing refineries because they're so closely matched to the oils we're already getting from other, from current sources, right? So it, in that sense, they're, it's kind of easy, right? If you if you get the algae, if you get the cells to make the oils you need, you can get some some protein byproduct and other stuff that you can also sell. But those oils are directly compatible with the refineries we already have, which is really cool stuff. Are there other markets besides transportation or fuels that you can see your diesel product going into? Yeah, you know, like California wrote their LCFS program. It was centered around transportation, right? But diesel engines are used everywhere. Like where do we don't sell only to truck fleets there's municipalities right the city of oakland every diesel engine in the city of oakland fleet runs on our fuel but beyond that there's the off-highway sector you know construction agriculture all these other things there's power generation you know our fuel is incredibly stable super long shelf life very repellent to water so in a power gen application where the fuel sits for a long time it's an incredible product um marine applications boats right california recently passed um their new harbor craft mandate as of January of this year, every commercial harbor craft in the state of California must run renewable diesel. 
Um, and there's something coming up next year similar for off-road, off-highway applications. So it's definitely not just trucking. It's anything with the diesel engine. Uh, are there things that governments can do to help you uh, increase your supply of feedstocks? You know, you you think about the Inflation Reduction Act. I know the hydrogen sector is jumping up and down over that because of the credits that were given to uh, to hydrogen production, particularly if it's green hydrogen production. Uh, did you get anything out of that? So this is actually not my area of expertise. I'm definitely not on the public affairs team. So well, I, I, I'm not right. sure I can give you a good answer on that one. All right. You know what? South, this, I now remember the exact question I wanted to ask. And this is this is up your alley. Okay. <laughs> you worked at Cummins. What are the role of the engine makers in this revolution? Um, it, it, it's pretty impressive, actually. So Volvo was the first in North America to say, we fully support renewable diesel. They put out this awesome press release. Um, and it was in 2015. It was eight years ago, before people even knew what this stuff was. The, the OEMs were already getting ahead of it and looking into it and realizing there's a lot of benefits here, right? And along the way, we just relationships with all the OEMs, Cummins, Cat, Detroit, any of them, every time they do testing, they, they will either add it in an owner's manual, add it to warranty documents, put out press releases. They're all incredibly supportive of it because they know as we get a cleaner fuel into the engine, it helps them as well, right? There's less warranty spend on the OEM side because parts are staying cleaner. You're not having injector fouling and all this other stuff. So there's not an OEM out there these days that does not support the use of renewable diesel. Yeah, in terms of diesel supply, you know, there is renewable diesel and there are blends, as you mentioned early. I mean, given the credits available to uh, renewable diesel and maybe they're more attractive than, uh, than for biodiesel, why would a feedstock go into biodiesel these days? It would seem to me they would all kind of be just attracted to renewable diesel, which I'm going to guess is a better market. You know, I, I can't speak for the biodiesel producers, um, but I think depending on source, depending on who you talk to, I think a lot of people would say the biodiesel was kind of the first generation biofuel, where renewable diesel is kind of the second generation biofuel, right? You're going to generate... It, it, just more more volume. The thing is, with renewable diesel, it is a refinery-style operation, right? But pre-COVID, I think, you know, there were over 100 biodiesel production plants in the U.S., and there were, what, zero or one, two renewable diesels. The investment to make a renewable diesel plant, um, like our Singapore expansion, $1.6, $1.7 billion. Um, it, it's, it's just so much larger that I think it just takes time for the market to move that way. I, in my opinion, I think things are going to start moving in more into the renewable diesel space and away from the bio for a number of reasons. It, like I said, it just it takes time and money, so it makes it slower. Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of rooftop solar here in the Northeast where I am for years. Rooftop solar was primarily aimed at heating hot water, uh, particularly hot water when you had a hot water uh, system to heat your house. And then as the price of PV cells uh, fell so hard, that was pointless. Let's put up the PV cells and get straight electricity. This kind of sounds along the same line. Yeah. You know, we all use the same feedstocks to make two different fuels. My opinion, why wouldn't you make the better fuel with the same feedstock? Right? Exactly. So what would you, let, let's give a forecast for the next two or three years in the renewable diesel market. First of all, uh, when you sit down and do your planning, how much of it is your planning tied to the price of diesel? And you know, when you have a, a collapse like we've had uh, the last couple, let's say the last six months, does it really matter to your long-term plans or are you just kind of going after a bigger game here? You know, I think we're not displacing all of the fossil diesel market right now, right? So we we are operating in a bit of a niche. You need the customers who want the fuel, not just I, I'm required to buy diesel fuel. You need the customer who wants the renewable diesel fuel, right? So the demand is always there. The demand is growing. Um, I, I don't think we care 
quite so much about the price of fossil diesel. You know, we can't obviously keep an eye on the credit market and other stuff. But one advantage of being a global company is that, say, everything gets really depressed in the U.S. and margins and everything else go down. Well, temporarily, we could move that fuel to other markets around the world, whether it's Europe, Asia, um, you know, to just keep keep stability on our side. And then as things shift, bring it back. Um, you know, we're not limited geographically to just California. We do have other options that helps us get long-term stability for planning like that. Yeah, I just really do think that with so many companies adopting ESG principles, I know it's uh, I know it's controversial. We certainly won't get into that now, but I don't see anybody backing away from their long-term carbon emission goals. And you're just going to have a market there that is, I hate to say divorced from economics, there's no such thing, but where economics might play a slightly less role or maybe even a bigger less role uh, than it might have in the past. Yeah, I mean, because you're right, it's, it's not just demand for fuel, it's the things attached to the fuel, like the ESG benefits and the checking the boxes and other stuff. So yeah, I think I agree. All right, we want to thank Matt Luke. He's the technical manager at Neste My, Neste My Renewable Fuels, uh, the Finnish company that's very, very active in the U.S. Matt, two things. First of all, thank you for being here on Drilling Deep, and thank you to Neste for being a sponsor of Drilling Deep. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. We want to thank Matt Luck of Neste My Renewable Diesel for being our guest today here on Drilling Deep. And we want to thank Neste My Renewable Diesel for being the sponsor of Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is part of the Freightcast family of podcasts. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. And of course, you can find us on Freightways TV. I've been your host, John Kingston. And please join us again.